You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Who first told you about Jesus? Who first told you about Jesus? Here's what I know. Whoever that person is, is forever a part of your story. They were used by God to play a significant role in your spiritual journey. You'll never forget them. And the question that I want to raise This morning, as we continue our vision series, is this. Do you want to be that kind of person for someone else? Do you want to play a significant role in other people's spiritual journeys? Do you want to be a part of pointing them to the one who is our only hope, the way, the truth, the life. Well, this morning we're going to challenge each other from the Word to be that kind of person. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We are continuing this sermon series on our vision as a faith family. We're just going to read one verse this morning, Acts Chapter 1, verse 8. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. So appreciate our student pastor, Jared, leading worship this morning in the absence of our worship pastor, uh, Daniel. Appreciate him and the praise team, the choir, and uh, our instrumentalists, our musicians. Uh, I never get tired of singing about the faithfulness of God. How about you? He is so I'm just singing and just thinking about how, how faithful God has been to me and my family and the churches I've been a part of. I just just overwhelmed by his, his goodness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus talking to his disciples before he would ascend to the Father. So this is after his death and burial and resurrection, before his ascension back to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me 
a sinner condemned unclean. Jesus, you are the way. You are our hope. You are our life. You are our peace. You are our joy, our meaning, our purpose. Your word says that you uphold all things by the word of your power. And you're worthy of our worship and praise. And I pray that through the word applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that we would be encouraged and challenged to point others to our Jesus. So Lord, have your way in our midst. Touch our hearts. Transform our lives. Deliver us from going through the motions of religiosity. Help us to understand that right now in this place we are having an encounter with the living God. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. And offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Our vision statement is abiding in Christ, advancing the gospel. That statement encapsulates who we are as a church and where we want to head as a church. The direction we want to go as a faith family. For the last three weeks, we've talked about abiding in Christ. What it means to to cling to Jesus, to draw close to Jesus, to experience His life flowing through you and producing fruit that impacts the world around us. And we've challenged each other to, 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 to draw near to Him, to abide in Christ. And now we're going to go to the second part of that statement and talk about advancing the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. Abiding in Christ speaks of being close to Jesus. Advancing the gospel speaks of making much of Jesus. And I want to talk to you in some specific ways about how we want to see that happen here in our church family. Now just a quick word about this vision series. This is not some... Again, pastoral maneuver to get you to do something, all right? I want you to understand that this idea of abiding in Christ and advancing the gospel is grounded in the Scriptures. And insofar as this vision is grounded in the Scriptures, and insofar as this vision has the potential to transform our community and our world... I want you to grasp hold of this vision and make it your number one priority until the day that you die. That raises the stakes, right? This is not just some sermon series. I'm I'm calling you, by the grace of God, to grasp hold of this and make this your focus in life and living. And so our vision statement is abiding in Christ advancing the gospel. Now, how are we going to advance the gospel? Well, I want to talk to you just for a moment about our strategy. If you've been around for a while, you've heard some of this. I'm going to talk about some of this in the new members meeting as well today. Uh, but, but we have a strategy. We have, in fact, a discipleship strategy. 
And the reason we have a discipleship strategy is because Jesus told us to. Over in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even into the end of the age. We call that the Great Commission. Jesus commissioning his disciples, commissioning his church to make it our focus to be about disciple-making. Sharing the good news so people can be saved and become followers of Christ. And then teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ and how to follow Christ. So we need a discipleship strategy if we're going to obey the Great Commission. And here's our discipleship strategy in a sentence. We want to help people to grow into fully functioning followers of Christ. That's it. That's what we want to be about. We want to help others to grow into fully functioning followers of Christ. And we have what we call the discipleship pathway that gives us some targets. It gives us some measures to know if we are actually helping people to come into relationship with Christ and helping people to follow Christ so that they are fully functioning followers of Christ. And you'll see up here, we have a, a, a graphic that, that really helps you to understand what our discipleship path is. It starts down here at the bottom. We want to see people saved and baptized. That's why we do outreach. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we do missions. That's why we do ministry. Because we want to see people who do not have eternal life, people do, who do not have a relationship with God, to hear about Jesus and what Christ has done for them, to hear the good news, to hear the gospel, so they can turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ alone and experience being born again, becoming a follower of King Jesus. We want them to, to come to know him in a personal way. We want people to be saved. That is what's most important, that people who are lost come into a relationship with God because, listen to me, eternity is long. And the Bible teaches that where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with Jesus here in this life. And we want people to know Jesus because Jesus loves them. He died for them. He defeated death when he rose from the grave. And we want people to come into that personal relationship with Christ. Saved and then baptized as we saw this morning. This outward symbol of what Christ is doing in someone's heart. It's a marker in someone's spiritual journey. So that's kind of step one. That people come to meet Christ and they let the world know I'm a follower of Jesus. And then we want to see them progress down that pathway to the point where they are connected and growing. We don't want folks to get lost in the crowd with a church this size. It's easy to kind of show up on Sundays and find your place on a pew and, and, and even be edified from that. But it's easy to get lost in the crowd where you really are building no relationships and you really have... Uh, no brothers and sisters cheering you on in your spiritual journey. So we want to get people connected. Our primary strategy for that, and we have, we have different avenues, but our primary strategy is we want to get everybody in a Bible study. And our Bible studies meet uh, predominantly 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings here on our campus uh, before uh, our worship service. And that's a way to get you out of the crowd into a smaller group of people where you can start building relationships. Because here's what happens in those Bible studies. 
Folks get to know you. You get to know other folks. And you begin to rejoice with each other when good things happen. You begin to weep with each other when, when hard things happen. You begin to minister to each other, pray for each other. You're learning God's word together. You're fellowshipping. You're hanging out. You, you build relationships. And so we, we want to get you connected in a Bible study uh, that, that fits for you and, and where you are in your life to help you to get to know some folks in the life of the church. And, and we want you to be growing in your faith in, in Christ. We want you to, to be maturing in your walk with Jesus. We have a, a, a strategy called D-groups, discipleship groups. And they're small groups, three to five people that are gender specific and we want to get you plugged into a D group eventually because in that D group you'll go to the next level of discipleship. You'll be reading the word with a group of, uh, of, of brothers or sisters. You'll be, uh, you'll be praying for each other. You'll be holding each other accountable. You'll be encouraging each other. And we launched our first round of D groups earlier this year in uh, January and I've heard uh, testimony after testimony after testimony about how God is using that in people's lives. We're going to start another round up in next year, first part of next year. So if you want to be a part of a D group, keep your eyes and ears open and we'll try to get folks uh, connected in those. But that's one of our strategies. We want to make sure you're in some sort of intentional discipleship relationship and D groups are one of the ways that can happen for you. And so we want to see people saved and baptized, connected and growing, but moving along the path we want to see people grow to the point where they're actually serving. Where they're serving the church and serving the community. They're doing things for other people in the name of King Jesus. We want people to grow to that point. Did you know that you can be a follower of Jesus and really not serve anybody? You can just kind of be going through the motions and really not impacting those around you. We want you to, to serve in the body of Christ. We want you to employ your spiritual giftedness. We want you to serve in your community. We have avenues for that, and we want you going. We want you reaching out to others. We want you uh, going to serve in ministries in our community. We want you going on short-term mission trips. We want you inviting people to church. We want you to share your faith with others in your workplace, in your, in your family. We, we want to see you reaching out to others because here's what happens. As you reach out to others, as you go, and people get saved, guess what happens? They begin the discipleship path, saved and baptized. And you get to walk them through that. It becomes this perpetual strategy that absolutely changes lives. So you say, Pastor Wade, what is First Baptist Church all about? What, what, what's your focus? What, what's, your, what's your ministry about? What kind of church are you? There it is. That's our focus. We want to see people saved and baptized, connected and growing, serving and going. Serving and reaching out, advancing the gospel. So that's our strategy. But here's the question I want to begin to answer in these next three sermons. What's our scope? In other words, where are some, some places we want to see this disciple-making happen? Who do we want to impact with this gospel message? And of course the answer is everyone, but, but there are some specific, some specific areas that need to capture our attention. And here's a sentence that we'll unpack over the next three weeks together. We will make disciples of our neighborhoods, the nations, and the next generation. Neighborhoods, nations, Next generation. You want to hear that so much, you're going to be sick of it. 
But that's our focus. We want to make sure that we're reaching out where we are, that we are taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth, and that we're thinking about those that are coming behind us and getting the gospel to them. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the neighborhoods. I want to talk to you about reaching out where you are locally, uh, where God has placed you. And I want to look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because that's what this verse is about. And I want to draw from this verse really just two, two truths about our relationship to the neighborhoods and telling others about Christ. Number one, and, and you dare not go to number two and focus on that heading without focusing on this first point. We need power. We need power. Now notice what it says there uh, in verse 8. Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's talking there about the, the Holy Spirit's special empowerment that would come on the day of Pentecost for the church. The Holy Spirit would fall on the disciples and the Christians and, and the Holy Spirit would empower them to preach the gospel and see lives change. But he says there, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and, and you'll be my witnesses after that. Then the witnessing will happen. Notice the power comes before the witnessing. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 8. I think Luke, who wrote Acts, is making a point here that we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be effective in sharing our faith. We need power. And Luke's emphasis is on that empowerment that the Spirit gives. And so Jesus says, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And he says in verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 4, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And in verse 5 he says, you'll be baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So isn't it interesting that they're in Jerusalem, there are lost people everywhere that need to hear about Jesus, and Jesus says, wait. Wait. You've got this message. Jesus saves. I died on the cross. I rose from the dead. I give eternal life, an abundant life. But don't, don't go with that message just yet. Wait for the power of the Spirit. Why? Without the power of the Spirit, we will fail and fall flat in our witnessing. If you look there in your notes... We need and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish our mission. I believe that after the day of Pentecost, there was a shift in the new covenant experience of the Holy Spirit. Everyone that knows Jesus in 2022, everyone that's saved has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, empowering them. And if you surrender to him every day, filling them. And when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to fill us up, to give us that power, we will be effective, natural, winsome witnesses for Jesus. And so we need 
and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish our mission. I read an interesting sermon recently written by Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was an author, a well-known Christian apologist, defender of the faith who lived in the middle and late part of the 1900s. He was mightily used of God. And he wrote this about the church. He said, When speaking of the central problem of our age, and he goes on to say it's not liberalism or modernism or rationalism or other world religions. He says it's not the fact that Bible-believing Christians uh, are in the minority. You know, we like to decry our, our societal situation and and it's becoming increasingly uncomfortable to be a Christian in this world in which we live. And, and, and the world views are changing. Uh, secularism is taking hold of our nation. And, and we're thinking, well, there's the, pro- the problems out there. Those folks, those ungodly folks, they're the problem. And Schaefer says, that's not the problem. Schaefer said, the real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than in the power of the Spirit. Whoa. He said, that's the problem. The church is not effective. He goes on to say, the central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. Listen to me. This is not the first time in human history it's been challenging to follow Jesus. Can I remind you, the emperor, when Paul was doing ministry, was Nero. He was a madman. And so it's easy to say, well, it's that political situation or, or that secular situation or, or that changing philosophy or idea or worldview that's, that's taking hold of our nation. And Schaefer says, no, no, no. You will be effective if, if, if you allow the Holy Spirit to empower you. No matter what the circumstance is. And so we need power, and we have power. Can I encourage you, just very practically, every day, every day to obey Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't let things control you other than the Spirit of God. He lives in you. Let Him control you. Let Him empower you. Let Him guide you every day. Confess your sin before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Would you give me the power I need to follow you and make much of Jesus? And that will change your life. To let the Holy Spirit have daily control. So we need power. But secondly, we need a plan. We need a plan. And look what Jesus says back in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Now, it is true that not only is this a a pattern for ministry. A lot of churches use this verse as a pattern for their ministry focus. And it it certainly is that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But first and foremost... This verse is a prophecy. Jesus is is prophesying what's going to happen. When the Holy Spirit falls, he says, you're going to witness to me, uh, uh, witness about me in Jerusalem, this city. 
And the gospel is going to spread from Jerusalem to the, uh, to the surrounding area of Judea, over into Samaria, and go to the very ends of the known earth. And the book of Acts is, is the story of Acts 1-8 happening. So it's a prophecy of, of what was going to happen. It certainly is that. But it also serves as a very uh, handy pattern for ministry as to what our focus should be. We need to focus on our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus gives us a plan of action. But here's what I want you to understand before we get into the specifics of the plan. And this is really important. Did you know it's possible to be busy with religious activity while really having no plan or direction? Did you know that? You can be busy doing stuff and you're not really, you really have no focus. You, you have no plan. Acts 1.8 gives us a, a plan. It gives us a pattern to follow, a plan of action. So I want you just to look at this plan with me. I want to make a few observations and then we'll be through. First of all, we should focus on bearing witness to the saving work of Christ. That's very clear. Jesus says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. Uh, a witness, listen, is any person that has knowledge of truth that's willing to testify to that truth. That's what a witness is. So if you have knowledge of Jesus, if you've been saved, if you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have personal experience with Jesus. And now, Jesus says, you can bear witness to that experience. You can testify to who Christ is and what he's done for you. And so, chapter 1, verse 8 tells us that we should focus on bearing witness to the saving work of Christ. Just a quick word. When Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking to his disciples, but he's also speaking to the other Christians gathered together. There were 120 in the upper room waiting for the power of the Spirit to fall. In other words, this message of being a witness to Christ is not just for preachers. A lot of people think, well, evangelism, sharing the gospel, that's for Pastor Wade or Pastor Jared to do or the staff in the church, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Josh, Pastor Dan. That's, that's for the, the, the hired staff to do. That's, for, that's missionary stuff, Wade. I mean, you don't expect us to actually open up our mouths and share the gospel. The Bible's very clear. This mandate is for all of us. To bear witness to Christ. To tell others about Jesus. To share what he's done for you. And share with others how he can do the same thing for them. We should focus on bearing witness to the saving work of Christ. Now where does this need to happen? Again, what's our pattern for ministry? Where, where, where do we begin? Well, well, look what Jesus says. He, he tells us there in verse uh, 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in, this is place, location, in Jerusalem. In other words, we should be witnesses to the saving work of Christ where we live. Wherever you live, that's your Jerusalem. Wherever you live. So if you live in 
Fort Walton Beach or Shalimar or Crestview or Niceville or Navarre or Maryester or Destin or wherever you, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name some places where people live, but, but if, wherever you live, that's your Jerusalem. That, that's where God, and I want you to hear this, that's where God in his sovereignty and providence has placed you. You say, why am I where I am? I don't know, but God has you there. Right? If he has you where you are, he has you there for a reason. And it begins with saying, oh, maybe God placed me here because there are people in my sphere of influence that I can impact with the good news, with the gospel. And so we start with where we live. We're going to talk a lot about missions and and, and, and reaching unreached people groups, the very ends of the earth, and sending out short-term mission teams and supporting missionaries and planting churches in places in North America that really need churches. We're, we're going to talk a lot about all of those things. But listen to me. J. Oswald Smith says, The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. So as our, as our light shines to the very ends of the earth, it's going to be really, really bright in our Jerusalem. Amen? This is where God has us. This is where God has placed us. He has us here for a reason, where we live. So I want you to think about your life. Think about your, your neighborhood, who lives around you. Think about your family that you engage with maybe in this area. Think about, think about your workplace. Think about your school. Think about your calling, your vocation, your relationships. Think about your sphere of influence. And just know that God has you right in the middle of that sphere of influence to be a witness for Christ. You start in your Jerusalem. Amen? It's where you live. But secondly, he says, not only Jerusalem, but in all Judea. That speaks of the places all around us. The places all around us. So I think for our uh, conversation this morning, our Judea would be basically the, the Emerald Coast area. right? This, this area that we live in. We, we want to be a light to the Emerald Coast area. That, 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 that we are impacting this area for the, for the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. This is where God has us. And we want the gospel to flow from our Jerusalem, from our Fort Walton Beach, into other areas. That, we, that, that God is using us so mightily that the gospel is overflowing and reaching people in this region for Christ. I heard this statement not too long ago and it was, it was powerful and convicting and I've taken the statement and applied it to, to our ministry here at First Baptist Fort Walton Beach. And here, here's the statement. Our goal should be to make the Emerald Coast area the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. Right? Because there's so much gospel witness, there's so much happening in the name of Jesus that if people live in our proximity, they can't help but be touched by what God's doing at First Baptist Church. So we think about our 
our Jerusalem, where we live. We think about our Judea, the places all around us. We think about cross-cultural places. Look what he says back in verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and Samaria. This would have caused some, some disciples to raise their eyebrow. Be like, did he just say Samaria? Like I was with him on Jerusalem. I was with him on Judea, but it, Samaria? Just very quickly, you need to understand the, the historical context here. The Jews and Samaritans hated each other. The Samaritans really were descendants of the northern kingdom when Israel divided into two different kingdoms. And because of the disobedience of the northern kingdom, God allowed the Assyrians to come and overthrow that kingdom and take many of them into captivity in Assyria. He did the same thing to the southern kingdom, but he used Babylon for that. But here's what happened. Many of those Jews who were taken captive to Assyria intermarried with the Assyrians and eventually they came back to that area, northern Israel, and they began to dwell there, take up residence there. And the Jews looked at the Samaritans as Assyrian half-breeds. That's just what they believed. They believed that they were ethnically inferior to them. So, so there rose between the Jews and the Samaritans rancor, vitriol, hatred, conflict. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. In fact, a, a, a Jewish uh, religious leader would not even walk through Samaria. If they were traveling from Judea up to Galilee, the, the most direct way was to go right through Samaria. But they would go around through Perea and go all the way around to get to Galilee because they didn't even want to walk through Samaria. And here comes Jesus in John chapter 4. Guess where he walks? Right through Samaria. Because how many of you understand Jesus loves Jews and Samaritans? Jesus loves us all, amen? He died on the cross for the sins of the world. But the Jews, Samaritans, hated one another. They were different. Different ethnic backgrounds, different cultures, different customs. And for Jesus to say, hey, don't forget the Samaritans. Be a witness to them. Certainly some of the disciples would have said, are you sure, Jesus? In other words, as we bear witness to Christ, Jesus doesn't want us to forget about people that may be different than us. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different languages, different whatever. And I want you to know that here in our community, there are lots of people different than us, different than you, different than me. And we're called to take the gospel to everyone. Our Samaria. To cross-cultural places. People that we don't naturally, naturally relate to, but they need Jesus. There are all sorts of applications to that. But let me go to the last one. We're to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. We're going to talk about this some more next week. 
taking the gospel to the nations. But Jesus says there, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. We're to take the gospel as far as we can take it because people the ends of the earth need to hear that Jesus saves. And that's our, our plan. That's, that's, that's the, the focus Jesus has here. The places that we need to bear witness to Christ. And so I like to think about it like this. The focus of an individual should be this. That gospel proclamation, witnessing for Christ, happens in concentric circles. It starts with your sphere of influence. It goes out to the next level, those areas around you, those who are different than you. And it continues to go forth from your life, through your prayers, through your witness, through your service, through your devotion. It goes to the very ends of the earth. That's the plan that we ought to have. Now I am thrilled that I'm able to say to you that I was raised in church. When I was, when I was born, I was in nursery. I was cradle roll. Burton Baptist Church. That's all I ever knew. We got up on Sunday mornings, we'd go to church. And I'm grateful for that. I had godly Sunday school teachers that taught me about Jesus and godly pastors that preached the gospel. And when I was, uh, when I was nine years of age, I began to ask my parents some spiritual questions. And they talked to my pastor, F.T. Rogers, who's in heaven now. And F.T. Rogers drove out to my house one summer afternoon and we sat at my dining room table and he pulled out his little witnessing Bible and he took me through different verses and had me read verses. I, I, I remember he had me read Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I read that verse, and the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart. I knew when I read that verse, I knew I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And he told me God loved me, and he told me I could be saved that day. And there at my dining room table, I bowed my head and closed my eyes and I prayed with my pastor and I asked Jesus to come into my life, be my personal Lord and Savior. I was baptized the next week or the week after that and, and that's where my journey with Jesus began. You say, oh, wait, you're raised in church. That's, you know, good, good for you. It's kind of what's supposed to happen. But I want you to know why I was raised in church. I want you to know why my mom and dad were believers before I was born, mom and dad were not believers. They were unchurched. They were school teachers. They had recently graduated from FSU, go Knowles, and they were living in Tallahassee and just a young couple trying to make ends meet. Not involved in church, came from unchurched families, unchurched backgrounds. Really no interest or thought about Jesus, about the gospel. One day my dad was out in the front yard raking. And this independent Baptist pastor named Jerry Sutek came walking down the street. And he stopped and began to talk to my dad. One thing led to another and he began to talk to my dad about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And right there in the front yard... My dad gave his heart to Jesus. He went to church the next week. He was baptized. 
started taking my mom with him. She made a profession of faith. She was baptized. Shortly thereafter, I was born into a Christian family. Because someone stopped and told my dad about Jesus. And Jerry Sutek will, will forever be a part of my journey and my story. And my dad's journey, my mom's journey, their story because he stopped and was a witness to Christ. So simple and yet so profound. Can you imagine the way God might use our church if we would in natural, winsome, spirit-filled ways just open up our mouth and point people to Jesus. Tell others how he's impacted our lives and how he can impact their life. Don't you desire to be a critical piece of someone's story like that? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.